of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham, Chapter 94, Segment 1. Philip asked Mr. Jacobs, the assistant surgeon for whom he had dressed, to do the operation. Jacobs accepted with pleasure, since he was interested just then in neglected talipes, and he was getting together materials for a paper. He warned Philip that he could not make his foot like the other, but he thought he could do a good deal, and though he would always limp, he would be able to wear a boot less unsightly than that which he had been accustomed to. Philip remembered how he had prayed to a god who was able to remove mountains for him, who had faith, and he smiled bitterly. I don't expect a miracle, he answered. I think you're wise to let me try what I can do. You'll find a club foot rather a handicap in practice. The layman is full of fads, and he doesn't like his doctor to have anything the matter with him. Philip went into a small ward, which was a room on the landing, outside each ward, reserved for special cases. He remained there for a month, for the surgeon would not let him go till he could walk, and bearing the operation very well, he had a pleasant enough time. Lawson and Athelney came to see him, and one day Mrs. Athelney brought two of her children. Students whom he knew looked in now and again to have a chat. Mildred came twice a week. Everyone was very kind to him, and Philip, always surprised when anyone took trouble with him, was touched and grateful. He enjoyed the relief from care. He need not worry there about the future, neither whether his money would last out, nor whether he would pass his final examinations, and he could read to his heart's content. He had not been able to read much of late, since Mildred disturbed him. She would make an aimless remark when he was trying to concentrate his attention, and would not be satisfied unless he answered. Whenever he was comfortably settled down with a book, she would want something done, and would come to him with a cork she could not draw, or a hammer to drive in a nail. They settled to go to Brighton in August. Philip wanted to take lodgings, but Mildred said that she would have to do housekeeping, and it would only be a holiday for her if they went to a boarding house. I have to see about the food every day at home. I get that sick of it. I want a thorough change. Philip agreed, and it happened that Mildred knew of a boarding house at Kemptown where they would not be charged more than twenty-five shillings each week. She arranged with Philip to write about rooms, but when she got back to Kennington, he found that she had done nothing. He was irritated. I shouldn't have thought you had so much to do as all that, he said. Well, I can't think of everything. It's not my fault if I forget, is it? Philip was so anxious to get to the sea that he would not wait to communicate with the mistress of the boarding house. We'll leave the luggage at the station and go to the house and see if they've got rooms, and if they have, we can just send an outside porter for our traps. You can please yourself, said Mildred stiffly. She did not like being reproached, and retiring huffily into a haughty silence, she sat by listlessly while Philip made the preparations for their departure. The little flat was hot and stuffy under the August sun, and from the road beat up a malodorous sultriness. As he lay in his bed in the small ward with its red, distempered walls, he had longed for fresh air and the splashing of the sea against his breast. He felt he would go mad if he had to spend another night in London. Mildred recovered her good temper when she saw the streets of Brighton crowded with people making holiday, and they were both in high spirits as they drove out to Kemptown. Philip stroked the baby's cheek.
we shall get a very different color into them when we've been down here a few days, he said, smiling. They arrived at the boarding house and dismissed the cab. An untidy maid opened the door, and when Philip asked if they had rooms, she said she would inquire. She fetched her mistress, a middle-aged woman, stout and businesslike, came downstairs, gave them the scrutinizing glance of her profession, and asked what accommodation they required. Two single rooms, and if you've got such a thing, we'd rather like a cot in one of them. I'm afraid I haven't got that. I've got one nice large double room, and I could let you have a cot. I don't think that would do, said Philip. I could give you another room next week. Brighton's very full just now, and people have to take what they can get. If it were only for a few days, Philip, I think we might be able to manage, said Mildred. I think two rooms would be more convenient. Can you recommend any other place where they can take boarders? I can, but I don't suppose they'd have any more than I have. Perhaps you wouldn't mind giving me, giving me the address. The house, the stout woman suggested, was in the next street, and they walked towards it. Philip could walk quite well, though he had to lean on a stick, and he was rather weak. Mildred carried the baby. They went for a little in silence, and then he saw she was crying. It annoyed him, and he took no notice, for she forced his attention. "'Lend me a hanky, will you? I can't get at mine with the baby,' she said in a voice strangled with sobs, turning her head away from him. He gave her his handkerchief, but said nothing. She dried her eyes, and as she did not speak, went on. "'I might be poisonous.' "'Please don't make a scene in the street,' he said. "'It'll look so funny insisting on separate rooms like that. "'What'll they think of us?' End of segment one. Chapter 94, segment two. "'If they knew the circumstances, "'I imagine they think us surprisingly moral.' said Philip. She gave him a side-long glance. You're not going to give it away that we're not married? She asked quickly. No. Why won't you live with me as if we were married then? My dear, I can't explain. I don't want to humiliate you, but I simply can't. I dare say it's very silly and unreasonable, but it's, it's stronger than I am. I loved you so much that now... He broke off. After all, there's no accounting for that sort of thing. "'A fat lot you must have loved me,' she explained. The boarding house to which they had been directed was kept by a bustling maiden lady with shrewd eyes and voluble speech. They could have one double room for twenty-five shillings a week each and five shillings extra for the baby, or they could have two single rooms for a pound a week more. "'I have to charge that much more,' the woman explained apologetically, "'because if I'm pushed to it, I can put two beds even in the single rooms. "'I dare say that won't ruin us. What do you think, Mildred?' "'Oh, I don't mind. Anything's good enough for me,' she answered. "'Philip passed off her sulky reply with a laugh, "'and the landlady having arranged to send for their luggage, "'they sat down to rest themselves.' Philip's foot was hurting him a little, and he was glad to put it up on a chair. "'I suppose you don't mind my sitting in the same room with you,' said Mildred aggressively. "'Don't let's quarrel, Mildred,' he said gently. "'I didn't know you were so well off that you could afford to throw away a pound a week. "'Don't be angry with me. I assure you it's the only way we can live together at all.' 
I suppose you despise me. That's it. Of course I don't. Why should I? It's so unnatural. Is it? You're not in love with me, are you? Me? Who do you take me for? It's not as if you were a very passionate woman. You're not that. It's so humiliating, she said sulkily. Oh, I wouldn't fuss about that if I were you. There were about a dozen people in the boarding house. They ate in a narrow, dark room at a long table, the head of which the landlady sat and carved. The food was bad. The landlady called it French cooking, by which she meant that the poor quality of the materials was disguised by ill-made sauces. Plays masqueraded as sole and New Zealand mutton as lamb. The kitchen was small and inconvenient, so that everything was served up lukewarm. The people were dull and pretentious, old ladies with elderly maiden daughters, funny old bachelors with mensing ways, pale-faced middle-aged clerks with wives who talked of their married daughters and their sons who were in a very good position in the colonies. At table they discussed Miss Corelli's latest novel. Some of them liked Lord Leighton better than Mr. Alma Tadema, and some of them liked Mr. Alma Tadema better than Lord Leighton. Mildred soon told the ladies of her romantic marriage with Philip, and he found himself an object of interest because his family, county people in a very good position, had cut him off with a shilling because he married while he was only a student. And Mildred's father, who had a large place in Devonshire Way, wouldn't do anything for them because she had married Philip. That was why they had come to a boarding house and had not a nurse for the baby. But they had to have two rooms because they were both used to a good deal of accommodation and they didn't care to be cramped. The other visitors also had explanations of their presence. One of the single gentlemen generally went to the Metropole for his holiday, but he liked cheerful company and you couldn't get that at one of those expensive hotels and the old lady with the middle-aged daughter was having her beautiful house in London done up and she said to her daughter, Gwenny, my dear, we must have a cheap holiday this year, and so they had come there, though of course it wasn't at all the kind of thing they were used to. Mildred found them all very superior, and she hated a lot of common, rough people. She liked gentlemen to be gentlemen in every sense of the word. When people are gentlemen and ladies, she said, I like them to be gentlemen and ladies. The remark seemed cryptic to Philip, but when he heard her say it two or three times to different persons and found that it aroused hearty agreement, he came to the conclusion that it was only obscure to his own intelligence. It was the first time that Philip and Mildred had been thrown entirely together. In London he did not see her all day, and when he came home the household affairs, the baby, the neighbors, gave them something to talk about till he settled down to work. Now he spent the whole day with her, after breakfast they went down to the beach. The morning went easily enough with the bathe and a stroll along the front. The evening which they spent on the pier, having put the baby to bed, was tolerable, for there was music to listen to and a constant stream of people to look at. Philip amused himself by imagining who they were and weaving little stories about them. He had got into the habit of answering Mildred's remarks with his mouth only so that his thoughts remained undisturbed. But afternoons were long and dreary. They sat on the beach. Mildred said they must get all the benefit they could out of Dr. Brighton, and he could not read because Mildred made observations frequently about things in general. If he paid no attention, she complained. 
Oh, leave that silly old book alone. It can't be good for you always reading. You'll addle your brain. That's what you'll do, Philip. Oh, rot, he answered. Besides, it's so unsociable. He discovered that it was difficult to talk to her. She had not even the power of attending to what she was herself saying, so that a dog running in front of her, or the passing of a man in a loud blazer, called forth a remark, and then she would forget what she had been speaking of. She had a bad memory for names, and it irritated her not to be able to think of them, so that she would pause in the middle of some story to rack her brains. Sometimes she had to give up, but it often occurred to her afterwards, and when Philip was talking of something, she would interrupt him. Collins, that was it. I knew it would come back to me sometimes. Collins, that's the name I couldn't remember. It exasperated him because it showed that she was not listening to anything he said, and yet, if he was silent, she reproached him for sulkiness. Her mind was of an order that could not deal for five minutes with the abstract, and when Philip gave way to his taste for generalizing, she very quickly showed that she was bored. Mildred dreamt a great deal, and she had an accurate memory for her dreams, which she could not relate, which she would relate every day with prolixity. One morning he received a long letter from Thorpe Athelney. He was taking his holiday in the theatrical way, in which there was much sound sense, which characterized him. He had done the same thing for ten years. He took his whole family to a hop field in Kent, not far from Mrs. Athelney's home, and they spent three weeks hopping. It kept them in the open air, earned them money, much to Mrs. Athelney's satisfaction, and renewed their contact with Mother Earth. It was upon this that Athelney laid stress. The sojourn in the fields gave them a new strength. It was like a magic ceremony by which they renewed their youth and the power of their limbs and the sweetness of their spirit. Philip had heard them say many fantastic rhetorical and picturesque things on the subject. Now Athelney invited him to come over for a day. He had certain meditations on Shakespeare and the musical glasses which he desired to impart, and the children were clamoring for a sight of Uncle Philip. Philip read the letter again in the afternoon when he was sitting with Mildred on the beach. He thought of Mrs. Athelney, cheerful mother of many children, with her kindly hospitality and her good humor of Sally. Grave for her years, with funny little maternal ways and an air of authority, with her long plait of fair hair and her broad forehead, and then in a bunch of all the others, merry, boisterous, healthy, and handsome. His heart went out to them. There was one quality which they had that he did not remember to have noticed in people before, and that was goodness. It had not occurred to him till now, but it was evidently the beauty of their goodness which attracted him. In theory, he did not believe in it. If morality were no more than a matter of convenience, good and evil had no meaning. He did not like to be illogical, but here was simple goodness, natural and without effort, and he thought it beautiful. End of segment two. Chapter 94, Segment 3 Meditating, he slowly tore the letter into little pieces. He did not see how he could go without Mildred, and he did not want to go with her. It was very hot, the sky was cloudless, and they had been driven to a shady corner. 
The baby played gravely with stones on the beach, and now and then she crawled up to Philip and gave him one to hold, then took it away again and placed it carefully down. She was playing a mysterious and complicated game known only to herself. Mildred was asleep. She lay with her head thrown back and her mouth slightly open. Her legs were stretched out, and her boots protruded from her petticoats in a grotesque fashion. His eyes had been resting on her vaguely, but now he looked at her with peculiar attention. He remembered how passionately he had loved her, and he wondered why now he was entirely indifferent to her. The change in him filled him with dull pain. It seemed to him that all he had suffered had been sheer waste. The touch of her hand had filled him with ecstasy. He had desired to enter into her soul so that he could share every thought with her and every feeling. He had suffered acutely because, when silence had fallen between them, a remark of hers showed how far their thoughts had traveled apart, and he had rebelled against the unsurmountable wall which seemed to divide every personality from every other. He found it strangely tragic that he had loved her so madly, and now loved her not at all. Sometimes he hated her. She was incapable of learning, and the experience of life had taught her nothing. She was unmannerly as she had always been. It revolted Philip to hear the insolence with which she treated the hard-worked servant at the boarding house. Presently he considered his own plans. At the end of his fourth year he would be able to take his examination in midwifery, and a year more would see him qualified. Then he might manage a journey to Spain. He wanted to see the pictures which he only knew from photographs. He felt deeply that El Greco held a secret of peculiar moment to him, and he fancied that in Toledo he would surely find it out. He did not wish to do things grandly, and on a hundred pounds he might live for six months in Spain. If McAllister put him on to another good thing, he could make that easily. His heart warmed at the thought of those old, beautiful cities and the tawny plains of Castile. He was convinced that more might be got out of life than offered itself at present, and he thought that in Spain he could live with greater intensity. It might be possible to practice in one of those old cities. There were a good many foreigners, passing or resident, and he should be able to pick up a living. But that would be much later. First, he must get one or two hospital appointments. They gave experience and made it easy to get jobs afterwards. He wished to get a berth as ship's doctor on one of the large tramps that took things leisurely enough for a man to see something of the places at which they stopped. He wanted to go to the east, and his fancy was rich with pictures of Bangkok and Shanghai and the ports of Japan. He pictured to himself palm trees and skies blue and hot dark-skinned people, pagodas, the scents of the Orient, intoxicated his nostrils. His heart beat with passionate desire for the beauty and the strangeness of the world. Mildred awoke. I do believe I've been asleep, she said. Now then, you naughty girl, what have you been doing to yourself? Her dress was clean yesterday, and just look at it now, Philip. End of segment three.